This is Simple Ritz Radio, episode 45. And today we're talking with the metabolic expert. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. I'm your host, Alexa. And as always, I just wanted to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health, allowing you to live with more purpose, more joy, and ultimately achieve the lasting health you've been looking for. It can seem complex and overwhelming, but my passion is to help break it down into the basics and allow you to live a more healthy and simplistic life that you enjoy. Today, we're going to finally help you get rid of the confusion that lies around metabolism and help you break free and make changes that will actually work. But before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about our sponsor from the show and a company that is very near and dear to my heart, Well Labs. Well Labs is an online nutrition company working to put nutrition and functional medicine into words you can understand and use to make a better life. It's a place to get high-quality supplements and give back to those in need at the same time. Each purchase of a physician-grade nutrition helps provide preventative medicine to kids who can't afford it. Everything from school gardening, stress management, music therapy, and yoga are just a few examples of things Well Lab works to provide to underprivileged children, because we know healthy kids will make healthy adults. Well Labs is founded and ran by two incredible women I have the privilege of personally knowing, and I can promise they are bringing you some of the best supplements on the market. At the end of the show, I'll tell you about one product that may be a good fit for you and help you boost your own metabolism. And before we get to the show, one more final announcement. I have finally released my five-day hormonal reset plan that can help get your metabolism back in check and allow you to feel better in just five days. I have so many exciting things to tell you about it, but not enough time, so head on over to the show notes to learn more and stick around in the coming weeks as we really break down our hormonal flow and get back to the basics. So to find out more information on that five-day hormonal reset plan, head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash 045. But for now, let's get back to the show. Today on the show, we have metabolic expert, Dr. Jay Tita. He is an integrative health physician specializing in natural health, fitness, and body transformations. He is the co-author of the Metabolic Effect Diet and runs the highly popular Metabolic Effect website. His approach to health can seem quite different, But I think it's time for something different, as statistically, what we've been doing isn't working. So today on the show, I'll be asking Dr. Tita about the truth behind metabolism, if there is one equation that can change our metabolism, and the five metabolic killers you are doing, and so much more. So without further ado, here's Dr. Tita. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jade Tita. I'm so excited to have you on, kind of known as the metabolic expert online, which is pretty amazing, but why metabolism? And can you tell us exactly what metabolism tells about our health? Because I think there's a lot yeah. of misconceptions when it comes to metabolism. So many, Alexa, and it's such a good, good question, right? I mean, actually, th- this question is the best because it's exactly the question we need to ask ourselves. You don't think about weight loss. You don't think about muscle building. You don't think about how I burn fat. You don't think about what makes me hungry and what makes me crave foods. Well, you don't think about those things, and those things are the most important, and that is your metabolism. Your metabolism is driving all of that. It's sort of the sum total of biochemical reactions going on in your body during the day that keep you in balance. In science, they call it homeostasis. Our body is always trying to seek balance so it doesn't starve, so it's not overfed, so it can heal injuries, so it can get sleep, so it can exert itself. All of these processes that our body must do are the metabolism's job. And so if you want to think about how am I going to get healthy, that's about the metabolism. If you want to think about whether you're going to burn fat or not, the metabolism controls that. If you're trying to build muscle or perform better, live longer, feel better, That's all in the privy of the metabolism. And so if you want to understand health, fitness, weight loss, muscle building, 
you must understand the metabolism instead of these different pieces like, oh, I'll just worry about the weight loss aspect or, oh, I'll just worry about, you know, this particular food. I heard it was good. Well, the metabolism could care less what you think is a healthy food or not. The right. metabolism responds based on what you need as an individual. And so all of us who have these rules out there, this belief system that there is a right or wrong way that all of us should be living, the metabolism tells that us that's completely wrong. Because one of the major things about the metabolism is it is individualized. Not only is our metabolism individualized, but our psychology is as well. And so are our personal preferences. And so we have to start the conversation at this idea of what exactly is the metabolism and why you need to understand it rather than all these, you know, sort of um, side pieces of information like should I be eating carbs or not? And should I be doing this or not? Is that healthy or not? It depends on you. Right. I mean, we like to believe that metabolism in our in our society that it's a measure of an equation, right? Calories in equals calories out, and you can just factor in exercise to that. But we know that that's not a true and adequate equation. So when we look at metabolism and knowing everyone is individualized, is there still kind of like a a standard of like different like I had the sleep doctor on and he talked about different chronotypes that people have. Is there a set number of this is what type of metabolism you generally fall into? Or is it just kind of like very individualized? Like how do you put recommendations on metabolism? Yeah, this is going to – this this uh, this conversation is going to perhaps confuse some people. So I want you to follow what I'm going to say here and I'll try to explain as best I can. The answer is no, okay? And I know that's going to confuse people because they're like, but Jade, you have a metabolic quiz online and, you know, that you're, you're putting people into these groups. And I'll explain that in just a minute. But the answer is no, there is not one – type of metabolism, nor are there three different types of metabolism. There aren't these different metabolic types. Now, there are certain metabolic groupings that we can group people in. Chronotype might be an example of that. Uh, people who have naturally uh, insulin-resistant metabolism might be a an example of that. But the truth of the matter is, is that these groups, these metabolic groups are only beneficial as a starting point because then the job is it moves you one step closer to right. finding your individual reactions. But the idea that we're going to say, okay, well, I, I agree, Jade, not, not, there is no one metabolism for all people. And then say, well, there's three or there's four, or there's five. They're, they're not, that's wrong. There's not, uh, there's an Alexa metabolism type. You have your own. There's a Jade metabolism type. I have my own. Now we certainly can start at a particular grouping that best fits us. But from that point in time, then we have to become metabolic detectives instead of dieters to find our unique metabolic inputs. I'll put it this way because it's a little bit confusing. There's two things I'll say on this is that it is absolutely true that all of us humans share the vast majority of our metabolism with every other human. It's also true that most of our genes and much of our metabolism is shared with mice, <laughs> but right. obviously mice and us are so different when you get down to it. And so Think about your individual metabolism like this. If I see Alexa walking across the street before I meet her, right, she's down the block, two blocks. I can see, oh, there's a human. I know by the way she moves. I can tell it's probably I can say, OK, there's a female human now. And as she gets closer, I can further refine. Oh, she has a certain color hair, a certain color eyes. She speaks in a particular way. She has certain mannerisms. Maybe she um, bites her lip or whatever, or flicks her hair in a certain way or does certain things, right? All of a sudden you go from just this general physical looking human to a very unique individual once you're right up on me. And it's the same thing in the same process with our metabolism. Yes, we share the vast majority of our metabolism with other humans. We need to know those rules, but then we need to realize how am I different? You know, am I a blonde? Am I a brunette? You know, for me, I'm a bald guy, right? So it's, it's very different, right? Am I a car person? Am I more of a fat person? Do I do well? How do I do well on those things? And then I have to refine that even further and say, what are my unique metabolic tendencies and my psychological sensitivities to stress and things like that? And my personal preferences, which no one talks about. If you tell someone who loves Oreo cookies and they're the best thing on earth, to never eat another Oreo cookie again, right. you've just destroyed any chance of them being healthy. And so they're going to have to include Oreo cookies in some way, shape, or form into their new plan. Otherwise, or at least find a suitable substitute that's enjoyable for them. Otherwise, you fail. 
And so this is how we need to be thinking about metabolism. I think about it like this, Alexa. Think structured flexibility. I know that's a weird term, right? But think about it. You provide yourself a structure. You can do that by picking any structure. It could be based off personal preferences or it could be based off a metabolic quiz like the one I have online. It could be based off anything. You can just decide, you know what? The paleo diet appeals to me. So I'll start there. Or you know what? I'll take this metabolic quiz online that Dr. Jade has and I'll see what it does and then I'll start there. The biggest mistake we make though is assuming that that's it. That's all that matters. Now all I have to do is follow some rules. Nope. What you have to do at that point is start being a metabolic detective, refine things further. That's how it really works. So hopefully that answers your question. Right. So um, by the way, the the quiz that we're talking about will be linked up in the show notes. Um, But I personally took the quiz. And so just to give an example, I was a mix burner. So meaning that I burned both sugar and fat. Um, So knowing that, one of the recommendations was for me to start eating later in the day, almost kind of shrink down, am I correct on this? Shrink down the time in which I eat. So being a detective, like what would be the next step in figuring out that that is what you have? I'm so glad you're asking these questions, Alexa. I'm not so sure you're going to like me, but... No, (laughs) it's great. I'm just trying to make it super practical for people to be like, okay, this would be a good next step. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so here's the way to think about this. Um, And I have to give you guys some background so you can understand this quiz. Um, Because this quiz is very, very popular online for obvious reasons. But people do get it wrong because it's just our natural human mind that does this. Here's essentially what I'm doing in this quiz so you understand. The metabolism is not static. It is changeable. It is adaptive. It is reactive to everything you do. So the biggest mistake we make in our health and fitness is assuming one particular way of doing things and thinking that's going to, once I adopt that, I just have to do it. And then I get linear, predictable, and stable results. Right. That is not true at all. In fact, if you do something, that's just the beginning because the metabolism is going to change no matter what you do. Within four to 10 days for the average person, the metabolism will change. So here is what this quiz is about. Essentially what it's doing is it's trying to get a general sense of the grouping that you're in. So for Alexa, she's a mixed burner, meaning that she's really a balanced metabolism. She's not too insulin resistant. She's not too stress dominant. So what we're trying to do is we're putting you in groups saying these people seem to be the ones most impacted by stress. These seem to be the people most impacted by foods that make them insulin resistant. And these people in the middle seem to do well uh, in general and have pretty balanced metabolisms. Then from there, what we're trying to do is we're trying to assess what it is that you have been doing day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, perhaps year in and year out that has caused your metabolism to adapt and react and for you to be stuck. And so in your case, what this quiz uncovered is that you probably eat what in a wide window. In other words, if I'm understanding you correctly, you eat, you know, sort of first thing in the morning and then eat close to bed. Right. And what I, what we're essentially saying is if you want the metabolism to change, you're going to have to do something different. So now we need to shrink that window. So maybe your first meal comes at noon and your last meal stays the same. It's not because there's any magic in intermittent fasting or or fasting till noon. The magic is that you switched it up on your metabolism. Right. Does that make sense? So in other words, the quiz itself is simply trying to uncover for you A, where your grouping lies so you can be better at starting your journey, get closer to where you probably need to be. And two, it's trying to uncover the negative habits. And I won't even call them negative habits because you may be able to go back to your old way and it'll be beneficial. But the the habits that have gotten you stuck and many of these habits, by the way, are based on our personal biases about which foods are good and which foods are bad and whether and and certain uh, stuck mindsets about eat less, exercise more, that we think that's the way to do this. Let, let me explain this to you guys all on the line and see if you can follow me. So imagine we've all learned, right? We grew up with eat less, exercise more. Right. This is the standard line of how we are supposed to, quote, lose weight, right? But the fact of the matter is I just taught you one of the quintessential, most important things you need to know about your metabolism, that it is adaptable, it is changeable, 
It is reactive. So what do you think it's going to do after four to 10 days of being on an eat less, exercise more approach? It's going to do exactly what I said it's going to do. It's going to adapt and react. How do you know? Because it starts making you hungry. It starts calling, causing unpredictable, unstable energy. You start getting cravings. Your motivation for workouts goes in the toilet and your metabolic rate slows down. And before you know it, you either A, can't stay on your diet or B, stop getting results from your diet. Now, at that point in time, if you're smart, you don't keep doing the same thing that wasn't working. You don't keep doing the eat less, exercise more approach. Most people in that in that uh, scenario would do what? They just be like, oh, I got to work harder. I'll cut calories down even less and or I'll work out even more. And then they get stuck again, this time typically faster. And then they say, OK, well, that didn't work. So I'll eat even less this time. And now I'm going to exercise even more. And eventually you got people eating salads and running for miles and miles and miles and not looking any different. The right approach is to switch up your approach. Now, I'll go slow here. And Alex, I talk a lot. So just tell me to no, shut up, Jade. Is, I need to ask a question perfect. here in a minute. <laughs> no, because it's a vicious okay. cycle so many people live in and it's just time to get out of that. So yeah, this is great. Keep going. Ab absolutely. Okay. So now we're in this stuck state, right? Now, some people have gotten savvy to this and they've said, okay, I get it then. Then what I'll do is instead of eating less and exercising more, I'll come back and do a refeed or I'll exercise less and eat more for a period of time. And then I'll go back to eat less, exercise more. And so some people have gotten savvy enough where they'll do a carbohydrate refeed or they'll have a cheat day or they'll do something like that. But that still doesn't really give you much, much flexibility for your metabolism. And both of those things – eating less and exercising more, and eating more and exercising less cause the metabolism to be less balanced. Let me give you guys an example. Okay, a couch potato sits on the couch, gorging on Doritos and crushing Cokes, right? And doesn't do much exercise. Right. Isn't it interesting that that person suffers from hunger? They always want to eat. They have energy lows and they have cravings and their metabolism doesn't function very well. They're not burning much fat, right? Well, the same thing for someone who's exercising more and eating less. Isn't it funny that they, too, have excess hunger, energy that's unpredictable and unstable and cravings that are through the roof? And then oftentimes they don't get the results because their metabolism slows down. In other words, hunger, energy and cravings. It's an acronym H.E.C. or heck. When your heck goes out of check, your metabolism is adapting and reacting. And mm -hmm. so you need a different approach. Those two things can work. You can go back and forth between eat less, exercise more and eat more, exercise less. But they are tricky because how many of us have had a cheap meal that turned into a cheap month? Right. Simply because our metabolism, right? Our metabolism is designed for that. It's like, oh, okay, you did you over-exercised and ate, didn't eat much? Well, I'm going to put you on a binge of under-exercising and eating more for three months then because the metabolism, metabolism likes to seek balance. So there are two other ways to do this. Instead of going from an eat less, exercise more approach to an eat more, exercise less approach, we have two other approaches we can use. One I call the eat less, exercise less approach. It's sort of the traditional European approach. You know, if you ever go to Paris, I've been in Paris the last three years uh, in March, every year for the last three years in March, and I love being there. I watch these Parisians. They walk a ton. You don't see a whole lot of them out there lifting weights. The gyms aren't packed. They, there are some, but they're just not the same as they are in the United States. And they eat pretty much whatever they want, baguettes and croissants and all these kind of things and coffee. And but they eat very little. They taste a lot and they walk a lot. And so mm -hmm. that's an eat less, exercise less approach. That works. It's more balancing than eat less, exercise more. And it's more balancing than eat more, exercise less. There's another approach. The eat more, exercise more approach. This is the athlete approach. No athlete in their right mind, right, right. is going to cut calories when they're trying to train and uh, for their sport. And so now you have four different, I call them metabolic toggles that you can use when you begin to adapt. So if you've been doing eat less, exercise more, there's nothing wrong with that except that you can't do it forever and it only works for a brief period of time. So when it stop works, when it stops working rather, and heck goes out of check, you need to move to one of these other toggles, eat less, exercise less, eat more, exercise more, or eat more, exercise less. And you do this by understanding the biofeedback signals or clues like a detective that your metabolism 
is sending. So I know this is a big, long discussion. And, and when people first hear this, two things happen. One, they go, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. Right. It explains everything I ever wanted to know about metabolism. And then the other thing that it does is it's like, oh, my God, can you explain that again? I still don't know if I quite understand because they're so rooted in the old way. And so this is your beginning introduction into a brand new way of thinking about metabolism. Right. So basically your body needs change when you're experiencing heck or when your heck is out of whack. So when you're experiencing maybe excessive hunger or lack of energy or cravings, then you just change your approach. You kind of get on a different toggle. That's exactly what you do. That's exactly yeah. how this works. And I'll say this too, Alexis. So think about it this way. The best toggles to get on would be eat less, exercise less, and eat more, exercise more. It's not that your metabolism won't adapt to that, because it will eventually. It's just that it's more balancing and you can stay there much, much longer. And let me give you guys the example I always use. So if you've heard me talk before, you've probably heard this example, but I do think it's a powerful one to give for all the new people on the line. Here's the way to think about this, the way to do this. You can do this very intuitively. So let's say that you're a, a busy uh, businessman or businesswoman, right? Mm -hmm. So here's what happens during the week. Maybe you're busy. You're traveling a lot, right? And you don't really have a whole lot of time to think about exercise. So you adopt the eat less, exercise less approach because you're not exercising a lot. By the way, you won't be as hungry anymore. A lot of people don't know that. Sometimes they don't realize that their exercise habit causes their cheesecake habit. They right. don't seem to connect those two, but it does oftentimes, right? So you move to this eat less, exercise less approach during the week, maybe Monday through Friday. And you're walking a lot because, you know, it doesn't mean you have to move. That's that's non-negotiable. We humans are meant to walk, but I mean leisure walking. So you do steps and you just eat a little bit. You don't go to the gym. You're not lifting weights. You're not doing anything crazy. Then on the weekend, when your calories go up because you're wanting to hang out with friends, maybe you want a beer or two, you want to relax, you want a nice wine, a dinner out, then you can hit the gym. And there, there you move into an eat more, exercise more approach for two to three days, right? So you're living in this eat less, exercise less, and this eat more, exercise more. You also can do it two weeks on and two weeks off or something like that. Women can actually do it with their menstrual cycle. We right. won't get into that, but you know, the menstrual cycle actually gives some advantages. The first two weeks of the menstrual cycle are a great time for eat more, exercise more, and the last two weeks are a great time for eat less, exercise less. But you're living between these two places, and then you go on vacation, right? And you go down to the Caribbean, and there you're doing parasailing and rock climbing and surfing and all these things and hiking and biking. And because of that, you're not thinking about food much. You're not eating much all day and you're very, very active, burning up a ton of calories. So you've essentially put yourself into the eat less, exercise more state. And because you're only on vacation for four to 10 days, your body responds beautifully to this because it's not used to doing it. If you do it any longer than four to 10 days, your body's probably going to adapt and it will stop working. Then you go back home. And you, you're back and forth between the eat less, exercise less, and eat more, exercise more again, right? right. And then maybe over the, the holidays, you go up to Manhattan. Maybe your family's in Manhattan. It's cold. It's snowed. It's Christmas. You're not wanting to go to the gym. You're eating a ton of turkey and mashed potatoes and pumpkin pies and all these kinds of things. And for a brief period of time, four to ten days, you're in an eat more, exercise less state. But it's not a problem because you don't normally do that, and it's only four to ten days, and in that way, it's helpful for your metabolism. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden you're living in this very balanced way that the metabolism is used to doing anyway. One more thing and then I'll shut up. You also can do this on a day-to-day -day approach. Simply do it this way. On the days you are exercising intensely, eat in an eat more, exercise more way. On the days you aren't exercising, eat in an eat less, exercise less way. And a lot of people do that. So this isn't rocket science. Some of you may be listening to this and being, I've never heard it described this way, but guess what? I do this naturally. And that's because oftentimes our intuition beats out what the latest blogger or guru or research paper tells right. us. Right. No, it's perfect. But when we talk about someone whose metabolism is affected by stress, what's the mentality of, oh, the holidays are approaching and, you know, they, they tell themselves going in that if they screw up, it's going to kind of be the end of them. So what's that stress level of like getting our mindset in the right place and how that affects our metabolism? Or even if you do this and you're doing it in the wrong mindset or kind of scared about it, can it still work? Do you get what I'm, I, I didn't ask that very well, but do you get kind of where I'm going with that? 
I, I think exactly where you're going. I think that uh, and you and you know what? It's such a good, astute question, because essentially what you're saying is you're saying, but Jade, underlying all of this, even though this this is really cool, underlying all this is always going to be our beliefs, our reactions, our obsessions about food and exercise, health and fitness. You have it, Alexa. I have it. Everyone has it, right? You know, some people choose to ignore it or not. The truth of the matter is that is probably never going to go away until until you start realizing that you have way more way more flexibility, way more freedom, way more opportunity to do things the right way and be in control of your metabolism versus just one way. So my answer to this question is essentially to say the reason most people obsess and are crazy about diet and exercise is the same reason that people obsess about any rule book. As soon as they think there's a rule book, they are stressed about whether they're following the rules or not. Right. As soon as you have autonomy to create your own rule book, all of that stuff starts to fall away. So this is a very simple answer to me. If you if you get and understand that your job is not to follow someone other someone else's rule book. Your job is not to do the keto diet the way it's written. Your job is not to do the paleo diet the way it's written. Your job is not to do the vegetarian diet the way it's written. Your job is to do Alexa's diet. Right. My job is to find and do Jade's diet. And once we get on that process, all of a sudden we cut ourselves some slack because then we go into this holiday season and we essentially say, you know, it's going to be curious what I'm going to do here. Maybe because I love to eat and my family's going to be here. I'm going to see if the eat more, exercise more approach will work for me because I love to eat. And I'm just going to do that. I feel more comfortable with that. It's more suiting to my psychological sensitivities. Or maybe someone else is just like, oh, wow, I get to have a break. I know I'm going to hit it hard and be healthy and be back in. The, the swing of things when I get back home, but I'm just going to relax into eat more exercise less. And I know I'll gain a little bit of weight perhaps, but I'm also going to be in a great healed place when I get back to my regular routine. And what happens is now you become more curious. You become more of an explorer, more of a detective, instead of thinking you're following this rule book. Does, does that help answer your question I, or not? I, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm a really big believer that people need to step outside the fact that there's not a one size fits all approach like we've been led to believe. And I feel like once we start embracing the fact that our body is never the enemy, you know, I, I never think our body is out to harm us. You know, it's out to protect us and do what it can within what it's been given. And so, I mean, like you said, if you understand these perimeters, and I don't even want to call them perimeters, but if you understand the basis of metabolism, then you can see how easily and how freeing this could be to someone. So yeah, absolutely. I love it. And you did mention though, you know, women going along with their cycle, which has been a lot of research that I've been studying lately is just women and how women should eat and their metabolism and how it's far different than men, which again, I feel like all the recommendations up until this point, have really been based off of a man's cycle because it's easy because a man's hormonal flow is more of that 24-hour as opposed to that 28-day cycle. So can you just give us, I know this could be a whole podcast in itself, but just clarify that women are not small men and kind of the yep. difference that you see in them and what we can do about that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really funny. For all the women listening, you already know this. For all the men, perhaps you don't. But here's the interesting thing uh, about this. In research, as Alexa said, it has been male-dominated. In workout programs, it is male-dominated. In the hormone research, it's typically male-dominated. And it's a shame because the interesting thing about health and fitness is almost all the clients I've worked with my whole life are women, 70 to 80% right. of them. And all the research is based on 20-some-year-old boys in college. And that is not what women need to be thinking about. And so Absolutely. Women get this. As soon as they start menstruating, women get this. And men don't get it until typically they're in andropause and they're old men and they're like, oh, my God, I have no more testosterone. Right. What happened? Right. But women get this every month. So they know that intuitively their hormones are affecting their metabolism. So not only is it affecting the speed of the metabolism, not only is it affecting the ability to burn fat and uh you know, uh, gain muscle for women in the metabolism, but it's also impacting the brain. So let me let me put it to you this way. The first two, and just, just to give everyone a precursor, because there may be some men on the line as well, a precursor into menses, the first day of, men, of the menstrual cycle is the first day of bleeding for a woman. Typically that will last anywhere from three to seven days for most women. And then two weeks after the first day, typically is ovulation. 
Now, during that first two weeks is a very estrogen dominant time. You can think of estrogen like it's the female testosterone. It makes women better fat burners overall. It also makes women better muscle builders and helps them hold on to their muscle. Now, this confuses people because they're like, wait a minute. I thought estrogen was a fat store. Well, estrogen is not a fat store. It's a fat burner, but it does slow the release of fat from certain areas, the hips, butt, breasts, thighs on women. This is what gives women that gorgeous hourglass shape, right? It's the estrogen that does that. Now, estrogen is one of these hormones that helps women be less reactive to stress and more carbohydrate sensitive. So during this first two weeks, women can exercise more, right? right. And they can eat a little bit more as well. And as a result of that, they don't get, they don't store as much fat. They're more likely to build some muscle and their energy tends to be more stable. Now, post ovulation, that starts to change. Now, progesterone becomes a little bit more dominant and progesterone blocks some of the action of estrogen. So progesterone is more of a uh, fat store. We don't really want to call them fat burners or fat stores, but it's, it's, it suppresses the action of estrogen. So now you're a little bit more, uh, you're a little bit more insulin resistant in your metabolism, but good news, progesterone also makes you less stress reactive. So during the second half of the cycle, you want to be a little bit more careful on your diet. You want to, you know, watch things a little bit more. And then right at the end of the cycle, when estrogen and progesterone both fall away, Remember, there's receptors for estrogen and progesterone all over the body, in the muscle, in the fat cells, and in the brain, including in the ovaries and uterus, right? Right. And so in the brain, when estrogen and progesterone fall away, guess what else changes? Dopamine changes, serotonin levels change, GABA and glutamate levels change. In other words, brain chemistry changes. And so at that point in time, there's actually one really good thing that my brother, Dr. Keone Tita, turned me on to. And it's one of the things that we use in our, uh, we actually uh, created a supplement out of this, but cocoa powder is one of the best things that women can do at this time, because guess what cocoa powder does? Well, anandamide, which is a cannabinoid, right? Which is a bliss chemical similar to marijuana, raises uh, the levels of GABA, raises some of the levels of dopamine, phenylethylamine, which is the same chemical that your dog can't eat in chocolate, mm -hmm. raises dopamine levels or is a dopamine mimicker. And uh, cocoa also has serotonin in it. And so all of a sudden, cocoa can take advantage of this sort of depleted mental state that a lot of women get around menses and stop some of the cravings. So I know all that's very complicated, but here I'll break it down for you since we went through all the different toggles. In the estrogen dominant phase, the follicular phase, the first two weeks of the menstrual cycle, many, many women, now remember, it's not one size fits all, but many, many women will do very well on an eat more, exercise more approach or an eat less, exercise more approach, which is sort of stressful, right? So those two approaches will work well there. Typically in the last phase, the last two weeks, the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle, you're going to want to do eat less, exercise less at that point or eat more, exercise more. In other words, something a little bit more balancing. And then you want to make sure that you're doing, you know, things to help with the cravings that happen toward the end of the cycle. So sorry, that was a big, long diatribe no, yeah. on uh, female biochemistry, but I hope it was helpful for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think just knowing that most of the research is done on men and helping women to understand that is kind of a freeing thing to realize like, oh yes, you know, in, in my client base, over 80% of them are women as well. And probably 95% of those declare that they have hormonal issues or hormonal imbalances. And one of the reasons I so love your work is because it's very similar to mine and it's not a calorie-based nutrition work. It's really a hormonal-based work. And so what do you see in you know, like the relation of hormones to people's health? And what are like a few tips that we can do to help our hormones? Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing. Relation, hormones, a lot of people don't quite understand what they are. So let's just, let's, let's talk about what they are in a very simple way. Hormones are our internal mailmen. They are how our body sends signals about what is going on in the outside world to the inside world. So for example, if the body needs to burn fat, it will, the fat cells will say, hey, we've got enough fat on our body. Let's send a letter to the brain and let's tell the brain that we have enough fat and we should probably stop eating so much. This, this hormone that does this, by the way, is called leptin. So leptin writes a letter, handwritten letter, sends it to the brain. The brain gets it and goes, oh, looks like we got enough fat. We better send a letter to the adrenal glands and the thyroid gland 
and tell them to ramp up metabolic machinery. Oh, and let's send some uh, uh, some letters to the digestive system so we can be less hungry as well. Right. And so these are our internal mailmen. So when you think about it that way, you're basically saying, wow, these things do everything. The hormones right. are everything. If we can get the hormones writing the right letters back and forth, then we have much more control over our metabolism. Guess what causes the, the metabolism to start sending so many letters it can't keep up? Everyone remember that scene, Harry Potter, where all the letters are coming in down yeah. the chimney and it's like just overflowing. Well, when you get stressed out, when you start, and, and by stressed out, I mean, yes, emotional stress. I mean, yes, psychological stress. I mean, anxiety. I mean, depression. But I also mean overwork. I mean, overexercise. I mean, undereating. I mean, all these things that throw the metabolism out of balance. How do you know when that's happening? Well, guess what? Heck, we'll go out of check. So you know my metabolism is under stress. Well, when that happens, these letters are coming in so fast to the hypothalamus, which is the command and control center of our metabolism, that it can't keep up anymore. So it puts the lockdown, just like in Harry Potter, where they they lock the door, they shut, they you know the 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 envelope that the 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 envelope uh, door that the letters come through, they they put that up. The brain can't get any of its signals out. Now all of a sudden, the metabolism feels sluggish. The metabolism can't function. The metabolism is sort of in the dark about how to behave, and we start seeing hunger, energy, and craving issues low libido, lack of motivation for exercise, lack of exercise performance, lack of exercise recovery, fragmented sleep, menstrual issues in women, all of these things start to happen. Now, how do we undo this? Most people wrongly say, well, I eat less and exercise more. Guess what that does? That stresses out the physiology even more. Mm -hmm. And so what you want to think about is that this isn't about food and exercise primarily. And I know that's going to shock you guys, but it's about what I call rest-based living, meaning that calming down, taking a nap, going for nice, long, slow, leisurely walks, hanging out with family, sex and physical affection, hot baths, spa therapy, all these things that lower stress hormones, all these things that get our hypothalamus to calm down. And most of us will not do these things. And yes, getting the diet and exercise correct is helpful. Moving from an eat less, exercise more approach or to eat more, exercise less approach to one of these more balancing approaches, eat less, exercise less or eat more, exercise more will also help. But this is the story that we need to understand. So when we talk about someone's weight, this might change just a little bit, but even like the carbohydrate, we hear often of like a weight set point or a carbohydrate set point which follows weight. What, explain what that set point is and how can we change our set point? Yeah. The, the interesting thing is there's debate in the research about how valid a set point is. Um, but we do, it does lean to the fact that we probably do have a set point that can be changed, but only, uh, you know, only with great difficulty. And so a set point is just essentially a place where the metabolism says, this place, this weight, this body fat level feels good. I feel healthy here. I feel like I'm not going to starve here. And so I'm going to try to get back to this place whenever I deviate. So if this person goes off on a tangent and wants to eat less or exercise more for three months, I'm going to eventually try to get them back to this, this uh, set point. Now, this infuriates people, right? Because it's just basically, it doesn't matter what I do, eventually my body puts me back into this. And we've seen, the research shows pretty conclusively, this is called the law of metabolic compensation, adaptive thermogenesis. The body basically puts mechanisms into play that basically assure it will return to its baseline weight and then, and then sometimes even increase its set weight a little bit. So what this basically tells us is that we're starting to believe that dieting in the traditional sense, eating less and exercising more, especially when it's done to the extreme, may actually be a cause of obesity in itself. Isn't that amazing that right. that's the potential case there? Now, how do we reset this set point? Well, we can't do it in an eight-week program. We can't do it in a 12-week program. We might be able to do it over the course of about nine months to 12 months. And the way it is done is we slowly ramp down and then we settle, right? And maybe come back up a little bit. So we take four steps down and then we take two steps back up. And then we take another three steps down and then maybe two steps back up. And we do this very subtly, allowing the metabolism to feel safe, 
allowing the metabolism to fluctuate like it normally would. One of the things I like to do personally is I use the seasons to do this. Spring and summer, I tend to ramp things up a little bit. And winter and fall, I tend to allow myself to gain a little bit of fat. It's funny, I have a thing that I do and that I've been able to reset my set point. Um, and it basically is like this. I do this weird sort of behavior where every November, and where my birthday comes around, I, I get in really good shape and uh, I take a birthday selfie. And then I allow myself over the next six months to slowly creep back up about halfway. So to give you numbers, mm -hmm. let's say I typically, my set point was about 240 and I was fat then. Then I brought it down to 230, but to do that, I went down to 230 and then up to 235. Mm -hmm. And then I went down to 225 and then back up to 230. And now I'm getting ready to go down to 220 and back up to 225. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'll be around 220. Yeah. I'll be around 220 this November. And then I'll let myself creep back up to about 225. And I'm doing this with these toggles, by the way. So I'll spend a little bit of time after, uh, you know, over Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I won't, I don't, here's the thing. This has to be gentle. So you don't all of a sudden start gorging yourself and go back up. You just slowly ease up a little bit, slowly ease up your approach a little bit and allow the natural cycles and rhythms to adjust this way. So it's two steps down, one mm -hmm. step back. Two mm -hmm. steps down, one step back. And this is the only way I've found. And by the way, it's not a foolproof way of doing it, but it's a slow control process that convinces the body, oh, guess what? That old set point, I don't really need to hold on to that anymore. Now here's my new set point. So you might say, Jade, how long did it take you to go from 240 where you kept gaining? And I was actually going in the other direction, by the way. I would do these extreme diets and stuff, and then I would get down to like 230, and then i blow back up to 242. Then I do extreme diet, I get down to 230 and I blow back up to 244, right? And until right. I started saying, okay, I'm gonna reverse that trend, did I start seeing it the other way? And the way I'm doing it now is a lot less extreme and a lot more measured and a lot more intuitive. So it took me uh, to get to where I am now, it's taken me about two and a half years. And that is something that is untenable for some people, right? Because right? they're just like, oh my God, Jade, what are you trying to tell me? I'm, it's gonna take two years. And you know, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing fair about the metabolism. Metabolism doesn't care about your vanity concerns or your timeline or anything like that. The metabolism does what it does based on survival. And so for me, that's what it's taken. I've seen other people do it in six to nine months, but it is going to take time if you're one of these people who's got yourself stuck in sort of where you keep losing and you regain all the weight. It is gonna take time. You're gonna have to wrap your head around that. Look. I am a fitness guy. I'm a health guy. I sell programs and not, I'm in business. I, I, but I, I, I don't believe in sugarcoating this stuff for you guys. This is what it's going to take. Some people are going to be um, game for that and say, hey, let's go. And some people aren't. And I'll say one thing about this to make it easier for you guys. When you love something, when it's your passion, when it's your purpose, you don't care about timelines, right? right. I mean, how many people how many people when you fall in love with somebody, right, are going to be like, well, I wonder when this is going to be over. They just are so engaged in it that they don't ever want it to end. They're just like, this is freaking great. Well, guess what? I love health and fitness. I fell in love with it. You can fall in love with it too. And when you do, the timelines fall away. It's just, you know, it's just what you do. Right. So, I mean, I feel like in time, right? Like we have to understand that our body is a safe player. It's not necessarily, um, it's not going to necessarily fall for the next diet or fad or anything like that that we like to believe it in believe that it will. So when we see people who just go on a diet and lose weight really, really quickly, and why statistically 97% of all diets fail is simply because their body will naturally go back to that set point and maybe more. Yep. And I'll say this too, uh, Alexa, and I, 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 let's see if you agree with me on this or not. But here's the other reason most of, most of these diets fail, because they are one size fits all approaches that people did not play metabolic detective and find what works for them. Because you can, by the way, there's not a guarantee, you can be in that 3% or that 1% that actually maintains the weight loss and lives happily ever after. But to do it, you have to find something that, you, that fits your metabolism, your psychology and your personal preferences. If you don't, right, mm -hmm. then you're gonna lose. I mean, my whole thing is, it is ludicrous to assume that you're going to do something that you can't stand for the rest of your life. So when you're designing your lifestyle around health and fitness, if you love donuts, find a way to include donuts in there. If you don't like weightlifting, then do just enough to get the results and no more. 
You know what I mean? So in other words, this idea that you're going to follow these off the shelf protocols just because, you know, um, such and such guru or such and such blogger or such and such article or such and such research paper said it. No, you have to find what works for you. And when you do that, you can become the three percent that actually make it last. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hands down. I always say you can't beat your body into submission, which we see so many people doing at the gym. You know, they're just trying to beat their bodies down. And I used to own a gym and it was overwhelming to me, the people who would put in multiple workouts a day and just kind of starve their bodies in a sense and, you know, work for that short period of time enough to get other people interested in it. But yet warning them like, man, this is not going to end well. But yeah, there's that belief that we can we can do what everyone else is doing and see the same results. And I love that you're very much that it's an individual approach, which doesn't necessarily make it easy, um, which is funny to me that everyone, this is just a little tangent, that everyone wants rules when we're all rebellious by nature. <laughs> and so- oh, I love yeah. I love that. Can I steal that quote? Yeah. Everyone wants rules when we're all rebellious by nature. It's such an insightful thing to say. Right. But it's just like, it just baffles my mind. And literally, seriously, I, I found your work not that long ago and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Because- Not very many people are talking about it because rules sell and weight loss sells, but rules and weight loss, I've never really found to go hand in hand. So um, just to keep going with this, like in your perspective, like what are five of the biggest metabolic killers? Like, is there anything out there that you could say, or is it really still, are you going to stick with its individualized approach? No, um, I think there are rules that we can go with here. And so, yes, there are. So if I had to say the the metabolic killers essentially means this, it's a marketing term, you guys. And so here's one thing just in the background of marketing, because I am a businessman, too. So what we do is we take things that are real that we know we can get solutions with people and we essentially give them fancy names like right. a metabolic killer. <laughs> I, I like that term because it does describe, it's not like you know killing you, but it is keeping your metabolism from doing what it needs to do. And so remember what we said, anything that gets the metabolism stuck, and usually those are gonna behaviors, be behaviors that we uh, do over and over again. So here are some of them, eating too few carbohydrates. Why? Because when you eat too few carbohydrates, the body, it's kind of it's the psychological equivalent of the white elephant, by the way. You, you say don't eat carbs and what all you want is carbohydrates, right. number one. Number two, if you if you cut carbs too low, you might be controlling insulin, but you are not controlling cortisol. And so it's not about too too little carb. It's about the right amount of carbs. So too few carbs is a metabolic killer for many people. Too many carbs is a metabolic killer for many people because same thing. And so when it comes to carbohydrates, those two, those two metabolic killers, it's not too little. It's not too much. It's just right. It's the Goldilocks effect. I call it the carbohydrate tipping point. You want enough to keep hunger, energy, and cravings balanced, keep heck in check. You want enough to keep your energy levels high and your performance in the gym good, but not so much that you start gaining fat. So too little or too many carbs, those are two metabolic killers. An- another one here is the idea of meal frequency. Eating three meals per day or eating six meals per day, this is a modern day construct. Humans are not, you know, we didn't like, we don't have built into us the genetics of like, oh, I'm I'm supposed to eat now. I'm supposed to eat here. That's a, that is a modern day construct. Most of our ancestors ate one major meal a day and that was dinner. By the way, it doesn't mean we're supposed to do it that way either. It's just saying that these, these meals are arbitrary. And so those people who are eating fewer meals, three meals per day, that could be a metabolic killer. And you all you need to do to turn your metabolism back on is eat smaller, more frequent meals. Maybe go from three meals to six meals or maybe go to from three meals to one meal. Right. But you can eat too little in terms of frequency and you can eat too much in terms of frequency. So those are two more metabolic killers. That's four total now. And these, by the way, I'm giving you the most the ones that I find are most uh, impactful because most people, when they, once they find a, a eating pattern, they typically do it for years, maybe their whole life, and it starts to create havoc on their metabolism over time. So eating frequency is another one. Eating too little, that could be a problem. Eating too too frequently, that could be a problem. And the final one is one that not a lot of people understand, but it's it, I, we call it the window in which you eat your food, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you can eat from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. You can eat six meals or three meals in that time period. Or you can eat between 12 p.m. and 8 p.m. And you can eat three to six meals inside that time period. And the way the metabolism worked is this actually makes a difference because when you are going without food, the metabolism is doing all kinds of different things. And so if you're someone who typically eats from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. 
and you realize that the metabolism is adaptive and reactive and you move your meal, your eating window to between 12 p.m. and 8 p.m., you may be shocked and surprised, and I've seen this over and over again, how your metabolism responds and vice versa. If you're someone who typically doesn't eat your first meal until lunch, you may want to move your first meal to 8 a.m. Just remember the caveat here. Don't do what most of us silly humans do. We turn this into a rule because guess what? Right. Just say you go from three meals per day to six meals per day and you get great results. That doesn't mean you have license now that forever and ever and ever it's a six meal plan and you should go around teaching everyone that six meals is the best way to do it and the only way to do it just because it worked for you. Because guess what? It may not work for someone else and it may not continually work for you. You might have to go back to the three meals at some point. But that's the whole concept. And I hope everything we've talked about sort of drives us home. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I love the heck because it makes people have to be self-aware and understand that what they're feeling relates to their metabolism and how their body's functioning. So last up, I have like a little quick fire. So I'm going to ask you six questions and you can just like kind of list off what, what your favorites are of these things. Just kind of like a fun way to get to know you at the end here. And then you can tell us more about you and your books so that everyone can go and read more about this and really understand it if you have questions. And if not, it's just, I feel like your books are a really great point to change your perspective and view on how the body works. And they're really fascinating. So the quick fire, first up, what are your top five favorite health foods or just favorite foods? Yeah. Um, banana. <clears throat> Banana's my favorite. Uh, I, I do a protein cookie from BioTrust mm-hmm. <laughs> that I that I freaking love. Um, I do a uh, my own shake. I built my own shake. It's called Craving Shake. Uh, it's I eat that every single day. Um, I am someone who actually loves, you know, we talk about vegetables and things like that. I don't eat many vegetables at all, but one that I do really like is kale. Um, I really like kale and I do it frozen. And um, and then I would probably say uh, my favorite and what I eat probably more than anything in terms of my meat is bison. I love grilled oh, yeah. bison. It's just lean and, and tasty. Yeah, good. Okay, so what's the first thing you do every morning for your health? Uh, first thing I do every morning is I sit down with a cup of coffee. I engineer my, my uh, living room. I have books all over the place and I'll pick up a book and read a passage from that. And it's sort of a a way to kind of check in and be intentional about the day. Nice. What is your favorite health book? My favorite health book. Oh, this one is tough. Uh, hmm. Favorite health book. I'm gonna. I'm kind of blanking on this, but if I, I guess if I had to, off the top of my head, name one, um, it's probably because I'm reading his second book right now, which is why it came to. But uh, why zebras don't get fat by um, Sapolsky. Okay, I haven't read that one yet, but I've heard of it. I'll have to check that one out. Um, what's one food you couldn't live without? One food I could not live without is, uh, probably my BioTrust cookies, my protein cookies that I eat those every day. Is there a recipe online for that? No, this is, and this is a processed food. And I'll tell you, it's really interesting, right? Cause people are like, oh my God, he's eating this processed protein cookie. Um, the interesting thing about that, I have a concept called buffer foods and trigger foods, and we need to have buffer foods and they're foods that we like that may not be ideal that make it more likely that we eat better during the day. And this right. cookie is a buffer food for me. And I've learned that with it, I can eat much better during the day. Whereas if I had a perfect breakfast, right? If I had, you know, like an egg right. scramble frittata with, you know, um, all these vegetables in it, I tend to actually end up eating less or uh, less healthy foods and mm-hmm. overeat at lunch if I do that. And mm-hmm. so uh, what we need to understand is that breakfast impacts what we choose for lunch and lunch impacts what we choose for dinner. And so we want to be choosing things that keep our heck in check both satiate and satisfy meal to meal. Right. I love that. It makes you make food so much more enjoyable. <laughs> what is the best piece <laughs> of advice you've ever received? Oh man, uh, probably to um it, it's easily hands down and you guys will probably see that I struggle with this. It's, it's an ongoing process. You can just see by the way I give interviews. It's to stop and listen. Um you know, um I talk a lot. I have a stream of thought a lot that you know and uh, I think that um, stop and listen, and, and I actually have an addendum to that because I'm a big, I love the Stoic philosophy, and they and they basically have this this sort of axiom that essentially says, always assume you're the most ignorant person in the room. And I have gotten much, much better than that across my life span. I tend not to, when I'm not in the expert sort of space like I am now, I tend to uh, really, really want to listen to people that I don't know and rather than teach, and because I feel like uh, 
that's how I learn. Uh, so listening is probably the most critical and I struggle with it as a human. Oh yeah. Right. Don't we all, <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you could leave us with? Uh, to me, this one is easy because obviously the topic that we're talking about, the best piece of advice I can give everyone, and it's the, it's the whole reason I do this, is that the idea that you're supposed to be following this scripted rule book on nutrition and that you're going to label foods as good and bad and that there is one diet that fits all people is wrong, wrong, wrong. And the faster you can throw that those biases aside – the more freeing that you will be, the better off you're going to be in the long run. There is no such thing as a good and bad food. It's only what works for you and what doesn't. There is no perfect diet out there that you find. There's the perfect diet that you create. That's the way it works. That's the way it has always worked. Yes. And I seriously, so freeing. And if we could really embrace that, just I just think about the life people could live that we're just so chained by food and restrictions and deprivation and starvation and um, body shaming and all that stuff. And it's just like it just opens the door to so many things um, once we get that connection and really understand that. So if you have to listen to this podcast over and over and follow Dr. Tita, do so because this foundation is spot on and it's it's, a, it's against the grain, um, but I think we all can recognize that what is the norm isn't necessarily working. So anyways, Dr. Tita, thank you so much for being on. Before you go, tell us where we can find more about you and any upcoming projects you're working on and what's just happening in your work. Well, Alexa, first I want to say uh, thank you so much for your work. I mean, it means so much to me um, that you thought enough of me to have uh, me on. So thank you very, very much. To get in touch with me, guys, I'm at Jade Tita on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook. And so find me on all of those uh, places, jadetita.com. That's where I do a lot of my self-help and self-development work. And metaboliceffect.com is where I do most of my metabolism work. And if you guys go to jadetita.com and you look over on the blog, I have a free course called Metabolism School. Just cost you your email so you can go there, type in your email and you get a free course that basically goes through all of what we just covered plus more. That's called Metabolism School. You can find it at jtita.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. Thanks. I appreciate it, Alexa. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another informational show. I know I learned so much and I hope you did as well. I feel like this is one of those shows you may have to listen to again and again to make sure you're able to get all those little health nuggets along the way. But regardless, my hope is that this not only provided you with education, but a desire for action. An action that's specific to you. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all approach, no matter what anyone tells you. No diet plan or program that works for everyone. Instead, we need to take those and use them as a starting point and then constantly check in with our heck, as Dr. Tita explained, which is our hunger, energy, and our cravings, to get a better view of how our metabolism is actually working. Remember, our metabolism is not static, and it likes variation. So don't get bored, don't get stuck in a rut, and don't expect the same thing to work day in and day out. But this all starts with staying in tune to your body and having a sense of self-awareness. For more information on today's show, as well as to check out Dr. Tita's work, head on over to the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 045, which the show notes have greatly changed, and I hope you're enjoying the new format. Head on over there if you haven't seen what the show notes look like, and let me know what your thoughts are on about it. I wanted to provide the most value for you and thought that adding a separate reading component may help as well. So again, to find the show notes and all the information about today's show and Dr. J. Tita can be found at the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 045. You can also learn more about Dr. J. Tita at metaboliceffect.com or Dr. J. Tita, that's D-R-J-A-D-E-T-E-T-A.com. Once again, I'm so happy you are here and it means the world to me. I have so many good things to give you in today's show, so let me start by filling you in on that supplement that I mentioned at the beginning of the show that may be supportive in your own metabolism and hormonal flow from Well Labs. It's called Methyl Bs. If you're someone who finds yourself needing caffeine to wake up or your energy dips during the day, Methyl Bs may be beneficial to your body. Our body's metabolism is run by energy machines, which are called our mitochondria, and those mitochondria need B vitamins to do their job. 
B vitamins not only help regulate your hormones, but they also protect your nerves. You may be especially low on B vitamins if you've ever been on the pill, don't eat meat, or have a daily caffeine habit. Well Labs Methyl Bs has the natural forms of B vitamins that your body can actually absorb. You won't find folic acid in the B complex and for a good reason. This simple addition might take you from zombie to bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, something that we probably could all use a boost of. If you want to try out Methyl Bs and to see if it's something your body is deficient in and can actually provide a natural and healthy boost in your own life, or to check out any of the other great supplements, head on over to Well Labs at their site, mywelllabs.com. Remember, all purchases also help to provide education and healthcare to those in need. That means it's supplements with a mission, and I'm all about giving. So again, head on over to mywelllabs.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out my new five-day hormonal reset guide, and let's start making changes together. We're doing a launch together where I travel this journey with you in a few short weeks, but for now, head on over to simplerootswellness.com 045 to learn more. And next week, we're going to be breaking down hormones even more, but for now, here's to getting healthy, living happy, and finding more joy. I'll be back next week, but don't forget to check out the blog post and recipes on the blog in the meantime. Here's to living a good one.